Hey everybody and welcome. This is Donovan Bankhead with Springfield Music and I appreciate you dropping in and listening to the podcast. With the Bow Better Bands podcast, my intention is to talk with our fellow educators across the state and share some of their best tips, tricks, and best practices. Also maybe even share some of the things that they're struggling with so that we can help each other out because we're all dealing with so many of the same issues and your and your programs. And us as your school music dealer, want to try to be a resource to help you solve some of these challenges and issues. So uh, anyway, we always appreciate you listening. And if you have ideas or tips or would like to be featured on the podcast, reach out to me and let me know. Donovan at Springfield-Music.com. All right, let's jump in. My guest today is Keely Ablin, and Keely is in her third year as the director at Parkway South Middle School, where she teaches concert band and jazz band. Prior to teaching in Parkway, she taught 16 of her 23 years at Francis Howell Middle School in the Francis Howell School District. One of the fun things about my conversation with Keeley is that she really strives to create activities in the classroom that go beyond the traditional band rehearsal, using things like composing, conducting, and various community building techniques. She creates opportunities for students to discover a variety of aspects from making and loving music. My guest today is Keely Ablin, and Keely is in her third year as the director at Parkway South Middle School, where she teaches concert band and jazz band. Prior to teaching in Parkway, she taught 16 of her 23 years at Francis Howell Middle School in the Francis Howell School District. One of the fun things about my conversation with Keely is that she really strives to create activities in the classroom that go beyond the traditional band rehearsal, using things like composing, conducting, and various community building techniques. She creates opportunities for students to discover a variety of aspects from making and loving music. We had kind of talked back and forth. Actually, we, before we even started recording, you had some great ideas uh, about things we should do. Uh, and one thing that you'd mentioned, which I think would be a great idea, I'm just going to put this out there to make sure that people here can think about it, is trying to find a way where directors can participate and some kind of ensemble uh because you're right there's we it's so easy to spend all your time teaching and then you you kind of lose the whole reason of why you got into it in the first place and so do you yourself do you what what instrument do you play horn horn i think we should have a band director band (laughs) and a band band director band Okay. So one of the nights we have a rehearsal and we're not doing it for the purpose of reading through new music. We're doing it for the purpose of remembering, sort of remembering why we do this. Because as a middle school director, I spent a lot of time doing, don't get me wrong, great music with a purpose, but it's not what we fell in love with. Yeah. Why we do this. We're not playing Granger. We're, you know... Yeah. There's so, Kelly. I, there's Kelly doesn't take a step in my room normally, you know, like maybe <laughs> one year I got to, but, but that's normally not what I get to do. So we're not always getting to do what we do. So if we sat down, we did two great pieces, just the band directors, and we had a top notch director conduct it. And then we are learning through their process, not just like reading through music, but how are they get, how are they addressing this measure or how are they dressing to get the group to play what they want to play? So we're watching a top-notch conductor while we're living inside the moment of creating music and just. Well, so we get to do that in Southwest Missouri. I play in the four state winds and um, that is basically what, what you're describing it's like a community band, but it's not open to the community. So like, you don't just go, Hey, I play trumpet. I want to play in the band. Like you have to be invited uh, or you have to reach out and, um, um, and kind of, you know, get placed that way. <clears throat> and then the conductor is Craig Fuchs um, from yeah. Pitt state. And he's, he's fantastic. And the musicianship is really good. And the most of the ensemble are music educators or students, music education students, and some community members, uh, but they have to be good players. Um, and so like I'm in the group because I'm obviously not a music educator um, or a music ed student, 
but uh, I'm actually the president of the of the association, which I think you. they just did it because I have you know more flexibility and whatever, and I'm used to getting people together. And we sponsor the ensemble whenever the ensemble needs something, we always pay for it. And um, but that has been really useful because directors get to work on and play. I mean, we play tough music. We got to perform at MMEA a few years ago. And we're playing like that kind of music. And right. Craig is such a great director to see how he breaks down and rehearses things. Now, it's a little different working with that level of musician. You know, it's you're not having to like work out sections. I mean, it, it does occasionally. There's occasionally some woodwind stuff that like, you know, you got to kind of go through because on, sometimes they can't quite play it by themselves, but they certainly haven't had the repetition and we only usually have three rehearsals and a performance. So it's kind of like, you know, everything's pretty quick, but it makes it intense and fun because of it. Right. I just think it would be, it would be nice to have that, that learning experience. Especially you think the rural people who are rural, which that you might guys just, be you guys just that. need to take over a community band. Well, I do an adult, I do a parent community bands. But it's very, it's geared towards people who quit bands in high school or, or or didn't play after high school. So it's like normally the parents of my students. But again, we're not playing that level. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I love it. And so it's fun to see like sixth graders playing near adults. And, you know, the sixth graders lean over and help the adults because they haven't played in 30 years. And so I've done that. Oh gosh, I would say 10 years. I started it at Francis Howell Middle School. And then when I came to Parkway, we did it the first two years. And then obviously um, this year we couldn't do it, but it's it's a definite community builder for sure. I don't, maybe it's just local, you know, the way this area is set up, but you know, there's the Missouri State Community Band that pretty much anyone can join, but it's, it's a pretty darn good ensemble. Uh, they've also <laughs> performed at MBA and I think they're, performing it well, I think they're performing NBA again um, and then there there are some others if you get to um, some of the rural communities that maybe are, don't have quite the same uh, quality of players across the board yeah. but I, that's a really great way to do it but so tell me how this idea would work a band director um, ensemble it'd be hard to make it like a weekly thing right so you'd almost have to do it yeah. like maybe the way four state wins works where it's three rehearsals and a concert or something like that. I was thinking one just at, at MMEA or MBA, one, one night, an hour, you sit in and you sit and rehearse. It's not for a performance. It's really solely to watch someone rehearse the band, learn through that, through, through what, like if we were going in someone's classroom and watching them, it would right. be learning through watching them rehearse us. Which, you know, in college, we had that opportunity, but I don't know about you. In college, I'm not sure I took advantage of that opportunity. Like, I think I was in the moment making music, worried about my part. I wasn't really noticing the nuances of how a director no. directs the band. So I think that when we, we come to the table now, we have just such a, a different thing that we're noticing and looking for and appreciating. So if we you just need to come, You need to come to MBA. I have it in, which is embarrassing. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. So oh. come to MBA because they, they do that. They do they they kill two birds with one stone. They do okay. it as a reading session, but they're uh, the 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 uh, there's people from inside the ensemble are conducting the piece, and then there's the you know a, a guest that's there that's then giving feedback on the conductor the conductor. So it's like a conducting really? clinic combined with a reading session oh, and, like and it's so much fun. And then, you know, it's, it's obviously it's, it's at Tantara or Margaritaville, um, but it's during the summer. So you can actually get to do all the cool stuff that it's not frozen and snowing. And I mean, like <clears throat> my family goes and I mean, we make like a whole, you know, week out of it. It's, it's a lot of fun. So an MBA has gotten so good in the last, I don't know, six, seven years. It used to kind of be like, you know, kind of whatever, just sort of a click and a hangout type thing. But now it is, I mean, I think if you're a band director, I, if I had to pick between that and MMEA, I'd probably go to MBA. Really? It's totally focused on what you do. So 
the golfing makes me nervous. Like, well, you don't have to golf, <laughs> but you can. <laughs> it seems like you don't have to be any good at it. it. Like the golfing seems pretty major. Like that's like one of the headliners. It's like you can. Oh, golf. it's like the first oh. day, or it's it's even like the pre-day. Like uh, you can totally skip it. How does playing in another an ensemble? How does that help you as both a person and musician, as an edu- and as an educator? Well, I I feel like everybody in the ensemble brings something to the table. Whether you know we have people that really love jazz, and so as I'm not really the jazziest horn player ever, so I get to hear their influences, and that makes me better in understanding some of the markings and things. And then that's better when I go back to my students in in jazz band. Um, just the idea of blending, standing on the on the podium, I don't have to work to blend. So I expect my students to do it, but if I'm practicing that and in rehearsals doing that, then I can give them ideas. No, this is who we need to listen for. We need to listen for the moving notes, just as reminders about how we ourselves are making better. And and quite honestly, I think it's, it's awesome when students ask me if I still play, I can say yes. And so that they can see that it's a lifelong endeavor. It's not just through middle school or through high school. It's something that we can continue to do and enjoy and bring us enjoyment. So um, I think that that's one of the the big things. Plus, it's just different. It's different than standing on the podium. And it does remind you there's great music out there and there's great musicians and you laugh. And sometimes mm-hmm. on the podium, we forget to laugh. So we get so bogged down by everything we have to do. I think you're so right. I, I find for myself, like even though obviously I'm rarely on a podium, uh, but getting to play is so important for my mental well-being. Because, um, you know, I had intended on being a band director, but then kind of went on a, a, a detour. But I always got into music retail because I liked to play. And I find myself, especially over periods of my career now, that's spanned over 20 years, if I'm getting into periods where I'm not playing so much, then my enthusiasm for my career tends to kind of wane. Because I didn't get into this just to sell more flutes and guitars and stuff. Like, that's not really whatever got me excited about it. It was working with musicians and creating music makers and, and ultimately making music myself. And being around all this cool stuff and getting to do that. And so when I go through periods like the last year where I haven't gotten to play that much, I can definitely feel it in my attitude and my feelings about my career and my life in general. So getting to play, you're right, it's such a strong reminder of why we do what we do. Absolutely. And that just happened recently, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, sitting down with a a quintet, doing that for the first time and and want to kind of got through the first song and there was like a collective like it was so nice just to play music and and be together with that it was it was so you know you just forget and you don't want to forget so yeah i've been doing this thing uh trying to get myself in shape to play for the missouri jazz orchestra and we're supposed to start next month and so i'll have a i have a little pa system up here in my music room and i'll have that playing and then i'll play the trumpet parts with the original recordings and that's fun and enjoyable but i know the first time that i get to sit in with the band and we play together man that first song is going to be like ah like I can already just feel like getting excited for that feeling. And then the four state winds are supposed to pick back, pick up again this summer. And like, oh my gosh, so not only am I going to get to make wonderful wind ensemble music with my peers and friends, but I'm going to get to see some people that I haven't seen in over a year. And I, yeah, I just can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so great to get to do that. I'm totally with you. So, and the other idea that you had that you mentioned, which would be, which I think was a really great idea too, is the idea of doing little 20 minute sessions of kind of what's working for you uh, at MMEA and at NBA. We could record them as like little podcast snippets and have people come in. And then you could also, get, we could, we could work to with your districts to get you like presentation credits or something because you're, you're doing this thing. I think that'd be a neat idea. So I'm going to, I'm going to set something like that up. We've got NBA this summer. So it'll give me a good chance to kind of test it out. And, and certainly the whole recording system I have for this is mobile. So it'd be an easy thing to do. 
stuff. I, just going in and listening to the podcasts you've done, I haven't made it through all of them, but the ones I'm like, that's a good idea. And I'm taking notes on the side. So many of us are singletons. We're the only person in our building doing what we do, and we don't get the opportunities to go out and see other things. So even some things so simple as how someone organizes the beginning of their rehearsal or how they do inventory or just little things like that, like this really works for me. And that can open our eyes to possibilities or we could go, well, that portion works. So maybe I can try this or adapt this to what I already do. I think that it would be, it would be nice. There's such a collective, I think for this pandemic and being virtual, so many people have been willing to share what they do through Facebook pages. And, you, you know, it's like a menu, like I'll take this and I can do this, I'll skip this. But it has been an amazing collective resource of ideas and inspiration that I think we can carry on in the future. If anything mm -hmm. has had an impact, I think that that just uh, so many amazing ideas and effort and things that I would not have thought of or known about had this not happened. So, yeah. There's certainly an attitude of sharing, I think, that is uh, that everyone's really keen on right now. And there's such a huge resource with all the, the directors and educators in our state. And everyone is doing something we can learn from. You know, everyone has some piece. That, yes. Yeah. Everyone's got either got a challenge or has solved something or has a thought. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes most most ideas that have been shared thus far are things that you, we would want to emulate. But sometimes it's helpful to also know the things you wouldn't want to emulate. And I don't know. I just think there's a lot there's a lot to learn. And, and so far, uh, you're right. The, the guests have all just been awesome. And, you know, I find myself with this notebook of ideas. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Like, I'm not a band director, but I still write. I just they're just too good. I can't help it. Like, I'll write it. Maybe I'll publish a little uh book or something one day of everyone's greatest ideas but uh anyway so one of the things that um that we were going to talk about today and it's something that uh, lisa mcmahon mentioned because lisa is the one that kind of connected you and i she mentioned that you do a variety of kind of creative student projects that she thought were just really really smart and when I was asking you for some more details, you're kind of explaining that you, you've got this Battle of the Bands thing that you do for small ensembles. You do a variety of different composition projects uh, for students. You do a student conducting thing. So kind of maybe whatever order makes the most sense, get me started on what some of the uh, additional content things you're doing with your students. Most compassion or most passionate about is going to be the, the composing. Um, anytime I do anything where the kids don't have the instruments on their face necessarily, or I'm not standing on the podium in a traditional setting. Um, I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, the students are getting something out of it. It always has a purpose behind the activity. And I'll, I'll talk about conducting because we just did that this week. I had one year where um, we made it through our winter concert and I was talking to the band we were just assessing how it went and there was a tempo issue and I, I talked about you know guys this is always one and it was a sixth grader he goes oh is that what that means I'm like oh my gosh you know I, I waved my arms like crazy up here and I've never officially taught the kids what it all means I just go with on my merry way making the pattern and thinking everything is good so at that point in time, I thought, well, let's teach them how to conduct and get them in front of their band and conduct simple songs so that they understand what it's like from my side. They understand what the motions mean. Um, same thing with composing. It, it does take time out of the rehearsal. And I'm not going to do, I really am not usually going to do something that doesn't pay off. So if I'm going to spend three portions of a class or more having the students compose, what what is my goal and what am I going to get out of it? And and what I have learned is when the students are working on these compositions, it actually starts conversations that don't start in a rehearsal. We're very protective. We have our instrument, we have our stand. I stand on the front and I tell the students what I want them to do. Um, there's not a lot of creativity that goes behind creating music. It's really the director, in a lot of cases, the director is telling the bands, no, that needs to be louder, that needs to be softer, those notes need to be shorter, and the students have to emulate that. And it's, it's also really interesting on what a student 
can they can get through a rehearsal with not really even knowing that much. They just mm -hmm. copy what everybody else does around them. And that really came to light when I did um, one of my first compositions and I said, okay, now you guys need to go in and add dynamics and I had an eighth grader water dynamics. I'm like, okay, I know I've I know I've taught this. I know we've done this, but it's just something that if they hear people play loud, okay, they play louder. Okay, now we play soft. Okay, I'll play softer. But they don't necessarily really deeply understand what they need to do. So the composition definitely improved vocabulary and conversations. Um, it gets the kids in and manipulating the sounds and understanding what notes match and what notes don't match. And I just, I, I find that the students learn in a deeper way by going in there and it's almost, it's hands-on constructing melodies. I also learned very quickly when I first did this that you got some pretty crummy melodies if you didn't do some front loading before you had the kids create the melodies. So I start in sixth grade having students, we, we look at steps, we look at thirds, we talk about intervals so that when we go into the composition, it's things that the kids can go in and look for. So there, there is a process behind the madness that has developed over time. Um, it probably started when I first did one. It was, okay, we had the concert. We have two weeks till the end of school. What are we going to do? And right. we were try composing. And the, the process of what I have learned in my teaching and what I have changed to make sure the kids understand to be able to compose has been amazing. It's eye-opening. So like um, one of the things I do is a melodic composition and the melodic composition, we go in and we, we do what, what makes a good melody. And I probably change it a little bit every year and grow from it. There's a project I want to add to it this summer. I'll talk about in a second, but the, the kids create melodies and it's eight measure melodies. And we talk about the key signatures and we talk about what the first note and the last note should be. And if they, if they disagree, they have to support to me why it's not going to be the scale degree one of the scale that they're using. Tell me why. It's almost always four or five that they pick. So let's talk about how that's okay or not okay. We move along and then we take those melodies and we give them to a composer who then listens to all the melodies and they choose one or two and I've had three melodies from the students compositions and then we commission a piece of music to be written based on the student melodies that the eighth grade band premieres in the spring so holy cow there's a few levels to it and we I've done that for three years this will be my fourth year to do that but I mean the students just even if it's not theirs they know someone that got selected and yeah. it's been crazy how it's worked out. There was last year, it was actually Matt McKeever was our composer. Um, and it was a sixth grader, a seventh grader, an eighth grader all got selected. And he didn't, he didn't know, he doesn't know anything other than here's the melodies and he goes through and see what inspires him. And we have conversations about that, you know, on a different day, different pieces might get chosen. It's just, how it how it works and on that particular day your particular melody sparked something in that composer yeah. so that's one that's one of them that i yeah. love that one it, it may not even be that those melodies were better that maybe those three kind of worked together or inspired him well, or that, whatever that is what happened that the three got introduced and then they got layered on top of each other at the end he's got it on his website it's called patriot rhythms so it's it's a, it's a really cool piece so tell me what is like you don't have to tell me exactly how much you like he charged but on average if you're having something like this commissioned what, what what would one pay for that so i have paid anywhere between 350 and 2000. Uh, my first year i was at a, a different school and we rocked cookie dough sales like heaven i mean it was it was pretty good and so I did have Randall Standridge did it the first year for me. And then I had Gary Gackstetter and then Matt McKeever since I've been at this school where we don't do fundraisers. So you're a little bit more reliant on, on other areas that might not have that cookie dough sales. So, <laughs> um, 
So, it, but you know, it, it was great. Gary Gastetter was able to come to the concert, and then the students who he used their melodies, he got to talk to them, and he signed the. I I signed the score for the kids who it's their melodies, and then he signed it for them. So, it's a fun oh, process. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that I will continue to do each year as long as the funds are there. So when do you tend to do that? Like what time of year? So like I said, um, especially with sixth graders, because I have sixth, seventh, and eighth all do this. Um, there's there's a lot of front loading that goes into how are these melodies made up? Again, key signatures become really important. Scale degrees, I do a lot with the first, second, third, you know, just scale degrees when we're doing scales so that we can have conversations about that. Um, I normally start... Um, first, we get signed up on Note Flight. That's that's the one that I use because uh, it's now very familiar to me. I can't say it's necessarily, you know, there's every program's going to have issues. This is just the one that I'm comfortable with right now. And so I, I have a day where the students don't bring their instruments. They always love that. And so they don't bring their instruments. And we sit, get signed up for Note Flight, usually in about October. And then we spend a day where they just get to play around and explore the site because they're way more adventurous than I am when it comes to things like that. So they have taught me things or I get stuck and someone in the class will go, oh, you just have to do this. Okay. So we explore and then we start digging in. So normally we finish by December. So I'll give portions of days or entire days, probably three or four between then and December. Um, a lot of it can happen after you have that winter concert. You usually have a week left, and that's when we go in and do some final editing. So it's just something we gradually work on throughout that time. I love it. That's such a great idea. How clever. Thanks. Okay. I could, all right. I can see why Lisa was so excited about <laughs> the stuff that you're doing. That's really cool. All right. And I'm, again, making notes for this because this is okay. so good. I have another okay. one. Tell me the next one. <laughs> Okay, I do a collaboration with the art teacher, and this one so far I've only done with the eighth graders, but the art teacher has her students create drawings based on words, and the drawing is a two-dimensional representation of the word. So let's say you have the word hungry, they write the word hungry in a style so it might have a bite out of it. Or if the words whisper, they would have very light ink and write the word whisper in the bottom corner. So they write the word being represented in the font, in the style, in the boldness. And then my students get the word and they write a piece of music based on that word. So we talk about how tempo affects a mood. We talk about um, range and testatura and timbre and all of this stuff so that they understand their role in telling a story to the audience. Not just by this art word, but when we are looking at concert music, how do dynamics impact the emotion that's being given? How does the articulation or the style or the dynamic impact the story that we're telling? So this one has very few rules as far as what the students are allowed. They can use any instrument that's in, in note flight. They can use, um, they can play around with tempos. They can change the tempo, which in the melody one, they're not allowed to do. So they really have a free for all in this one. And they love that because I don't think that happens very often when you're an eighth grade middle school student that you don't really have any rules. Right. So, that one is a pretty, pretty fun time. And in the past, we would turn those melodies into a QR code and we would attach them to the mat of the artwork and you could go by and QR code it. Normally we have a fine arts festival and that's where they all get displayed in February. That obviously didn't happen this year. So um, it changed how we presented it and there's a video and background of the artwork is the music playing, which I actually have pulled up if you wanna. Yeah, totally. So this, this, these are examples of one. Um, this student did, the word was broken. And so it sounds like this.
And then we have um, Grim. Scary's one. So again, you know, talking about dynamics and voicing and um, things like that. That is clever. Okay, and then you have another one that's a, like a rhythmic composition. Am I remembering that right? The rhythm composition, I decided to try something new, and that one just came out this year, although I've done rhythm compositions before. The rhythm composition this year I used when I introduced new rhythms, so like seventh graders, when I introduced the 16th notes, I decided to have them go in and manipulate the 16th notes and then perform them using just stuff they found around the house. So I had one kid who is avid hockey player and he did, he actually did the whole thing using a hockey stick and a, a practice ball and did all the notes and the rhythms using that. And he would slide and then da, 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 and slide. So trying to get them to, again, write in smart music, physically putting in the rhythms. And then it had it had a catch to it that actually worked out really well. Once they wrote the rhythms in, sorry, I said smart music, but note flight, once they did that, they could go in and use that as a resource for practicing the rhythms that they created. So they just go in and play, and then they could sit and clap the rhythms along with what they composed. So that kind of had a, a twofold bonus to it where they're creating it and then they can go in and practice it and practice it the right way without me standing over them or even having us all do the same one. And then you can pop it up on the board and you go, hey, everybody, this is Joe's rhythm. Let's clap that. And then Joe gets to hear everybody clapping his rhythm or Susie clapping their rhythm. So that's kind of that's kind of been fun to, to go in and they're not worried about the mechanics of everything or the articulation. We can move into that, but let's first see, do you really understand the rhythm that we're using? Now, yeah. in hindsight, note flight helps a lot. Like note flight helps because it will help show you that, okay, you don't have enough beats in this measure. That's why everything just turned into a rest. So if they hand write it, which then takes away some of the bonuses. If they handwrite it first, then you can see, do they really understand this or is note flight helping them out a whole big bunch? But if they right. write it and then you approve it and then they can plug that into note flight, that can be helpful too. I think that's one change that I'll make next time is really show me that you understand how these rhythms fit together and then we'll go in and plug it into note flight. Yeah. So as you've done these uh, these student various student compositions, tell me how has that changed your ensembles or the student participation in your ensembles? Like as you've done these, what have you noticed well, that had the benefits of benefits have been? I feel like it it hits more points with students, um, giving them an opportunity to be, to be creative. The students that struggle with playing can still create something, a quality product by their composition and be proud of it, even though they might still be struggling, sixth graders struggling to produce a, a, a fantastic tone, which might be something that happens later on in seventh or eighth grade, hopefully. But they are able to give something and show something that they can be proud of that they created. And it, that brings in ownership to what they're doing. Um, I had one student that I was very concerned when coming back from virtual, uh, very concerned that this student was going to make it. Um, lots of, what note is that? What, did, what note is that? And we did the first day of going in and just messing around on note flight. And the student came back the next weekend and had figured out different video game themes. And I'm not talking just a melody. I am talking like, instrumentation, rhythms beyond rhythms that we would ever see in, in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, just all of a sudden, this this strength that this student had showed up, and now the student's like, I'll be in band all three years. And uh, as of the first day, I'm like, this kid's not going to make it. Right. So even just one kid, I mean, I mean there's days where you're, you're just hoping that 
you help one kid find the connection. And I've seen multiple kids, but I can also go, we're gonna sight read. When we sight read, everybody look for the scale, the, the steps. Everybody look for the thirds. Look for something bigger than a third. Is there a leap bigger than a third? And because I teach the melodies to the kids in a different way now, it has made them stronger at looking at rhythms and melodies in other things that we do. <laughs> I could see, I could see how, like you know, the way the traditional way we do it, we pick up our instrument, we play the music in front of us, and we do that every day, unless our teacher's sick, and then we watch a video. Uh, but but that's basically the day. Like, well, you I could see, right? But now I could see like doing this allows you to get them to have a, a, a deeper understanding of music where they're kind of coming at it from like another perspective. So if this is the straight line approach of like, we're playing our instrument learning music this way, by doing these various composition type projects, we're kind of like getting different cross sections and seeing it another way, where it's helping us to maybe internalize it better. And we, can, we can't just use rote, because I know every director has some, they know there's some kids that are just looking at the kid next to them to figure out uh, where does my slide go and I'm just going to sit here and act like I'm playing and not really play and so they're kind of getting through it but this you know engages their brain and they have to they have to show that they're participating and it might increase their knowledge of it I think it's a little bit of Thanksgiving dinner if this if this place but growing up my mom did everything at Thanksgiving she grocery shop, she prepared, she made the meals, we would sit down and, you know, in 15 minutes, all of that hard work was done, consumed, thanks mom, and we go on a merry way. And then there was a year that I hosted Thanksgiving, and I shopped and prepared and created all of the meals. And I'll tell you what, Thanksgiving dinner tasted different. Yeah. Because I had put that work, I understood what went into it. I understood there's choices that you get to make along the way. And there's a reason why composers put notes in certain places. Like, why do these two notes not get along? What does that create? So when it came to actually the, the year I actually created my Thanksgiving dinner, now it's a whole different experience for for me and i can't wait till my own kids do the same thing because it's just it's different when we are involved in the process of things yeah so yeah. i always think of it that way that if we can if we can understand by manipulating it we can understand better when we're playing it that's totally yeah, true anytime not on the podium needs there needs to be a payoff so that's like what is the, what is my goal and I did start out, well, I think I made this mistake. I started out when I first started teaching, composing, I started with, here's chord progressions. Let's talk about non-chord tones. Let's talk about this. And here's this rule and this rule and this rule. And then I, you know, I would, I would get good compositions, but they were all kind of, kind of the same. And I remembered something when my daughter went to kindergarten she came home one day and she said, I can't do any more purple trees. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do purple trees? And she said, my teacher said every tree is brown and then green leaves and I can't do any more purple trees. I'm like, you, you can do purple trees at my house. But then after I did the composition and I kind of got them all the same, I'm like, oh, there's no purple trees. I did not let them do purple trees. I need to give them this opportunity to, to create, to break a rule. And, and so then we started breaking rules. And I had a student one time go, it's a lot more fun when we don't know the rules. I'm like, yes, yeah, sometimes it is. So yeah. it, it give them that, again, being creative. I don't know if we give them enough opportunities to do that, not just in our classrooms, but just outside of our classroom. There's a lot of rules to follow. So that's how yep. we learn and, and moving, moving to be that next level. Well, and then you also created a, a website, Listen to Learn, Listen with the number two, Listen to number yes. two, Learn, which uh, allows students uh, can create pieces and kind of tell me a little bit about how the site works, why you created it and how you use it. So I created that with the, with the idea that I want, I wanted to have top musicians with top musical pieces more prevalent in my classroom. I was not playing a lot of these 
standard pieces that are so good. And again, like we talked about pieces that, that hit us at the heart of why we love what we do. And I wasn't playing a lot of that in my own classroom. So I thought of it that it could possibly be a teaching tool for my classroom. So I went in and, and I looked at some top quality programs and looked at some pieces that they were doing in their own concert programming. And I started studying those pieces and I took the scores and then I went in and thought of what are some vocabulary words that I want my students to know? What's in my curriculum? What are things that are important? And then I went in and clipped videos, YouTube videos of those sections. So if something was staccato, I clipped a section that showed highlighted staccato using like blue shades, um, using um, a Granger piece and what actually showed the staccato moment so that kids could hear professional musicians playing legato and staccato and allegro and doing a crescendo and being forte and and all, all of those things. So if you, if you go on the site, you can click on a word and um, click on pieces that in the score, it says staccato or in the score, it says legato. And this is the section and this is the interpretation of this group playing that. It has grown into um, a few other things. There's a, a place for ideas and the ideas, um, just different things that teachers can do. And quite honestly, just having a resource of the full recordings. So I have the full recordings and I just go in and I have a kid in the morning go, hey, pick a number one through 30. I count. I play. That's the song I play as they're coming in because now they come in earlier because they can't hang out in the hallways. That's what I play when we're switching classes. So I have music and it's just right there. I have places where it highlights, you know, the alto saxophone. So you, I can say this is what an alto saxophone sounds like. And it's an alto solo from wind and literature so that students can hear the tone quality of not just a jazz trumpet, but also a legato piano trumpet. So it has things in there. And then through, I, I, I have discovered Google Slides Right now, like I'm all in Google Slides, so I've gone in and I've created some Google Slides um, using some of those clips, whether it's articulation or I just did a conducting one. So kids can, it, it could be asynchronous and kids can learn how to conduct and it uses some of those clips from uh, some of the pieces talking about time signatures. So there's three, four, two, four, 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 and then there's some funny ones where you have to guess what the time signature is. I love that 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 you went to the. I have to check out the website, and I encourage everyone else to to as well listen to learn. That that just sounds really creative, and uh, I look forward to to checking that out. Okay, the other idea I wanted to hear about was this battle of the bands for small ensembles. It started from I love professional development. Like if I could professionally professional development, I I would. I love going in and listening to other ideas. And Andy Bezerly, when I was over in Francis Howell, um, we just had the band directors in a room and he was talking about small ensemble stuff at the high school level. And I thought, sure, I'll try it. So um, I did not have a lot of literature. So I found online, there's Aaron Cole, I think it's AaronCole.com and it's two A's. Um, he has a thing called 36 corrals that cover a lot of different ability levels. And so I would go in, and they're free. I would go in and select about 10 of them. The kids would, would do their own groups. And then it's written as SATV. So as long as you have four people and you're covering the four parts, and we would take days and separate. And sometimes you have four groups in one room. Um, you might have a couple in the hall make sure your neighbors like you um, couple in like a locker room and you just walk around. Sometimes you had to remove like plan a little bit of what group goes with what group, but um, the kids would run their own sectionals. They would run their own rehearsal and you would walk through and you hear them talking. And I did it with seventh and eighth graders. You would hear them talking about how to breathe to come in together. You hear them talking about phrases. Um, you hear them talking about, we need to hear more of this part. And they, they were putting to use all the stuff that I stand up and hope that they're picking up on. And you could see it actually happening. Then we would take several times, we would have like a big March Madness 
grid. They would come up with their own names of their groups. I print out what the are uh, like the the barking frogs, and they would have their names. I did it where each group competed on both sides of the of the grid of the bracket, so that they were going against a different team, and they had to at least play twice. So if they were on the left side, and then they were also on the right side going against somebody else, and then we would advance and we would advance. Everyone would get graded on the first round because everyone had to play on the first round, and then we go forward. And I've had it where I've had guests come in and be the judge, um, even if it's just like the counselor or the principal would come in. If it's the principal, then they get to see what you're doing in your class. Uh, I phoned a friend, like, hey, can you listen to this? Um, there was one where I always record them, um, just, you know, just on the side, I record it. And um, one, I said, I can't make the decision. And so I sent it out to a couple of band directors and they sent it back. And the kids were like, did they listen? Did they, you know, they're always so into it. And so then the other band directors make the decision because I couldn't. And, you know, we talk about the criteria. Are, are you in tune? Are you matching style? And so it gets them to approach, hopefully, in small ensemble, stuff that I want them to approach in big ensemble. So then it carries over into that. And then big celebrations. One year when I did it, we tied it into a big festival that the seventh grade was doing. And that's where they had their final. They performed in front of the entire seventh grade. And then... We had a teacher panel that voted on which one would be the, the winning ensemble. So you can do it as big as you want or as little as you want. Watching the kids actually be in a position where they run their own mini rehearsal, very impactful to you as a teacher and to them as students. I could totally see that. I mean, we all have experienced the the reality that you learn something better when you try to teach it. Like we've all, we've all seen that. And certainly when students start to try to run their own rehearsal, practice their own thing, they understand why it's important when that people should be not talking when we're not supposed to be talking and, you know, paying attention to our key signatures. And now we got to go back and do this all over again. And like, and being prepared, like it just, it really is. Like my group is not functioning. Can I be removed from that group and join another? I'm like, you know, I mean, they at least that's where they realize. And yeah. there's sometimes kids that are the ones that cause problems in the rehearsal. So, you know, like, hmm, why would you want to be removed? What is it that they're doing? <laughs> you know, again, starting those conversations so that we can learn together. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. This year has been trickier for that. Just obviously everything has been trickier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But having them that's that's one i look forward to reinstituting next year yeah no kidding i can see that being really and i love the idea of kind of tying that together with like a march madness bracket like that's so clever where they advance through my uh friend lewis morgan who's a band director in pittsburgh or uh no uh, baxter springs kansas he did something he's big on TikTok, and he's he's hysterical on TikTok, and well hysterical and somehow thought-provoking he's his TikTok channel is like two different things. Yeah. Yes. He'll do one thing that's all about just funny band director things. It's hysterical. And then he on, on the same channel, he'll talk about, let's talk about systemic racism. You know, you're like, okay, here we go. And uh, he's, he's just really smart. Uh, but uh, anyway, one of the things that he's done this spring has been a, a March Madness, but for pet band tunes. And so they're pitting like their pet band tunes against each other to come up with like, which one's the, the favorite and the best. And, and, and it's fun and let's have a poll and you can see like who's winning and I don't know, it's just kind of fun to do it. But I could totally see doing this with a battle of the of the small ensembles uh, type of thing. Like, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's such a great idea. It also teaches kids how to be an audience. So while the other group is performing, we do talk about audience etiquette. And so that is another thing that, you know, again, trying to, to squeeze as much as you can in that learning process. Like, how do we listen? How do we applaud? How do we recognize our, there's, there's, there's a lot of levels to it. We did the um, military March Madness, the Marine Band one this year for the first time, because we have 85 minute classes, which for beginners is 
Yeah. So we, we got to do that. Man, they buy into that. They would come in like, which one won? And they were so upset when, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but they were so upset when the Don Williams piece that everyone thought was going to win didn't win. There was anarchy. I mean, it was, they were buying in and you're listening to these top quality groups and these kids. I don't think I had one moment where I had to ask them to pay pay attention. Like wow. they wow. loved it. Why did I not do this before? Like, come on. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hindsight. I, I, I could totally see how these kind of things could really not only reach the kids that might may not be getting reached to through the playing of their instruments solely, but even a kid like me who I, I loved playing my instrument. I, I was never the kid that would come in and be like, do we have to have our instruments today? Like I never asked that. I always wanted to play. But I would totally enjoy an activity like this, you know, um, like any of these, really. Like I would have enjoyed the the challenge of trying to compose something uh, and try to create something. I would definitely enjoy the chance to, you know, work up a, a piece to perform. And and I think playing in those small chamber ensembles are so important for musicians to learn skills. That whole one to a part type thing and if if it's to be it's up to me like this part will not be heard if i don't play it and there's a whole new level of nerves that you can encounter doing that and playing in a chamber ensemble is a great kind of uh, way to get yourself ready for playing solos and um but you know most of the times we take kids to we're like all right you're the seventh trumpet out of 30 and this is all you've done is play in band boom, here's a solo, go play a solo. And then of course the kid's like, you know, super nervous. And yeah, I always struggled with nerves. I mean, all all the way through college, you know, it finally got to the point where I just would have to think like, well, I'm not playing to impress anybody. I'm just going to play for my enjoyment. Because I remember I had won a concerto aria competition where I got to perform a solo with university orchestra. And I remember being so upset that I won. Because uh, I thought, oh my God, now I have to like perform in front of an audience standing in front of the orchestra. Like I was terrified. Like the idea of doing it terrified me. And I honestly, the only way I got through that was beta blockers. I had someone that would send me, he lived in Mexico and he'd, <laughs> he'd send me beta blockers. And I had never taken one. And I took one the day of the performance. And fortunately, it went well. But I was so petrified, I would have done almost anything to, because, you know. That's how I got my master's of performance was with the beta blocker. Did it? Yeah. I, I, my nerves just got worse and worse. And still to this day, like I get so much anxiety over the idea of playing anything solo or if there even is a solo in a brass quartet. Oh my, I, I will sit 10 measures before and and you can, I can feel the heat. And I'm still playing, but I can feel the heat rise. I feel like that is something that human part of it is something I can bring back to my students because we, I mean, we are human and again, we're not, we're not going to be perfect. So being able to talk to students who are about to take their first playing test as a sixth grade, I'm like, I get it. You know, here's, here's what I do, breathe through it. And, and it, that is an, a constant reminder to me, like these kids, we're like play 72 you know and they yes. they you can see it and so what other opportunities can i give a student to assess them that doesn't put them in front of their class here's your moment go because yeah. some students aren't going to do well with that although they can play great when the whole band's playing they might not take a playing a traditional playing test like we probably grew up doing the same way that they could if they're videoing it at home or uh, recording themselves, you know, outside for a minute or in the hallway for a minute. So there is definitely uh, uh, an advantage to not being perfect. <laughs> we we become more human and understand our students just a little bit better. Well, and I, I think, I mean, again, so I, I think easing them, them into it is such a great idea. But then you're right. I think being allowing yourself to be vulnerable to admit that you can struggle with performance anxiety is such an important piece. I, I know for myself, I, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable sharing that for a long time. And then I, I remember, honestly, this was only a few years ago. Uh, we were, I think, if I remember this right, 
we were going to Midwest and we were taking a bunch of directors to Midwest. And I was having a conversation with Trey Waddell, who teaches down at Carl Junction, which is in the southwest corner of the state, and another good trumpet player. And he and I play in the four state wins together. And uh, Trey's been the principal player for the last, I don't know, couple of years, whatever. And I remember finally just telling him, like, sharing with him that, like, you know, I, when I play, I, I enjoy playing. But honestly, like, I want other people to, like, be impressed with my playing, you know, like I don't have to be better than everyone, but, but I would like to be, but you know, but when I play, I just want people to go, Oh, he's a good player. And I really think that screws with my head. And he, he, he's, he quickly admitted the exact same thing. He's like, I feel the exact same way. And then it got me thinking like, okay, so this is like, this is something we all feel with. And then Shortly after that, I was going to play with Missouri Jazz Orchestra, and I have been a sub for years and, and just now officially joined the group as a permanent member. And when I would have to go play with them, I would be so nervous. Not nervous if I knew I was playing like fourth trumpet or something, but I usually have to play the split lead book. And I would get like almost not one night I remember getting like physically ill uh, because I was so nervous about it. And it finally dawned on me to like, these guys are having me come in because they like me and they like my playing. And it's such a cool group. They don't care if I miss a note. They don't even care if I'm having a bad night. They just, they like me and they like the way I make music. So I need to cut myself some slack and I don't need to try to impress them. You know, like that's not what it's about. Well, and that, that'll tie into to teaching as well is, you know, we always think we have to have, the top program or the, the program that performs it at MMEA, but there there's more to what we do than that aspect of it. Um, obviously we all want great, great kids sitting in front of us who play great music. We want that, but you know, I teach middle school. I want kids to love what they're doing. And if I'm sitting there and just drilling, 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 that, that might not create a love in the majority of the students that I have. So what, what can I do? What can I approach them with and, and moments that I can create for them that will get them to want to stay? Stay long enough where we have that intrinsic love for music because a seventh grader is not necessarily going to have that. It's, right. you know, no matter what I do, there's probably a level of intrinsic that's not going to happen. So getting them to at least love what they're doing and not feel like they have to be the best. I don't want my bottom eight flutes dropping because they're not first chair. So right. what can I do that keeps them in long enough that they can continue to, to love and grow and not beat themselves up through music? So yeah. we are caught in that, that dilemma all the time as at the level that, you know, as professional musicians and it's overwhelming. Sometimes you just got to sit back and love what you do. Yeah. If I was smart, I would end the episode right there, but I'm not. I'm going to say something <laughs> else. So, <laughs> you know, I think hopefully with this approach you're taking too, it'll help build a lifelong love, not just of music, but of making music. Because I think one of the things in my career that I've been the most perplexed and saddened by is the number of kids or a number of people who play through through school middle school or high school and then quit to never play again and they never touch their instrument again they spent those six or seven years learning that skill and then once it was done just didn't want to pursue it anymore after that i think that ties in though with what we were just talking about of we expect ourselves to play at a certain level. That's we're, we're professional musicians. We expect ourselves to do that. So you have a group of people who stop playing at the end of high school or sometimes the end of middle school. What ensemble do they have? They, they're going to be intimidated to probably join a, a top quality community band. They're going to be intimidated to start their own brass quintet. So what, what outlets do they have? And, and that's where earlier when we were talking about um, about 10 years ago, starting the community band that caters to people who did stop, that haven't played their instrument in 20 years, 
but they just want to make music. Let's make music again. And they always walk in with trepidation. There's always, like, I can't believe my kid talked me into this. I don't know what I'm doing here. And they always leave smiling, happy, and almost always come back. There's There's been a couple cases where they felt just very overwhelmed. But having a community band of, of parents and faculty and students that gears towards playing middle school level music and seeing these kids and adults next to each other and adults laughing. Um, last year, past two years, I had a parent who would come in after school to practice the mallet parts. And she even came into parent conferences and said, I'm not here for my child. I was wondering if you could answer this question. And she's asking me a key signature accidental question. But it, it gets them back into the love. And then these kids see that and like my my parent is still playing an instrument or took up a, something that they hadn't done in a long time and putting themselves out there. And that shows the kids that lifelong learners and being music makers forever. It just, it's there. It's, it's possible. But I think that a lot of people think, well, I quit in high school and I shall never do it again. And that doesn't right. have to be the option. There's, there are other options. Yeah. So how did, how did those community ensembles get started and how do they operate? Kind of talk me through that. So I started mine um, about 10 years ago at a, at a different school and I'm sure I was at a professional development or I was asked, oh, it was, it was through um, some four questions that were, were being asked about character education. And one of the questions was, how do we involve parents in our programs? And other than chaperoning a field trip, I didn't. And so I, I thought, how can I? And there's so many people that stopped. Like, like we, they just stopped playing when they, when they left high school or middle school. And I thought, maybe, maybe I can invite them back in. And the way I have always done it, and, and the parents, I always ask the parents, would you like to try this? And they're like, nope, we're good. So I usually block out February and I do four rehearsals, sometimes five, depends how the, the days fall. And we do four evening rehearsals for two hours. They come to the middle school. And then the first Friday night of March or the very last Friday night of February, we kind of kick off Music in Our Schools Month by having a community-based concert. It's quick. It is, I mean, we probably only know four or five songs. And so it is a quick concert. And then we have community afterwards where we are, um, everybody brings in something to eat, cookies and snacks and, and punch. And, you know, a 15 minute concert has a 30 minute, everybody enjoying each other and um, talking about, you know, things that they've done when they played last. And it's just, it's, it's a fun, fun place to be. And we're not worried about how is that going to sound at festival? We are just making music together. So the kids do get they, to see. Do they have to have played before? So are these parents I that played do, before? I do put in, um, I, they have to grade themselves on a level of one, you know, I don't remember how to put my instrument together to 10. Uh, I'm ready to go for the St. Louis Symphony, which ironically, I had a, a dad who played for the St. Louis Symphony. Um, and I I had already had that on there before. And then the, the one kid, I passed it out and he's like, my dad can circle that one. Awesome. Do it. So I kind of get an idea. I try to make it as comfortable as possible. I had one mom one time. She would only she would only play her flute and the measures she liked, and then she would put her flute down, and that's fine. If you just want to play whole notes, that's fine. I try to pick pieces that are really a 0.5 to a, a 2.5 in some cases. Um, you have uh, professional musicians that have sat in, and that that always brings up the level of the people around you. So the selection of music is always something. That, that is very important in that. Sometimes I use pieces that the seventh graders have played before and they get excited, like, I remember this one. So at least I have that bass that they already know how to play it. So then the parents can hear that. But there's such a variation in it, just trying to create a place where that's okay. That's okay. And it's, yeah. a, it's a community to build that we aren't gonna be perfect. It's not, but what can we do to create music? Well, they have to have their own instrument, right? 
Yes, there have been so, some cases where I have had some extras to, to, to loan. I've also had where music stores have let them rent for a month mm -hmm. and then be able to return it just after a one month. So we, I have had situations, I've had parents go out and buy one. It's it's variations in that as well. But yes, it they do usually have to have something that they can carry into the band room to play. I'd love to get something like that started, but then find a way to keep it going. You know, I, sometimes I wish I did it also in the summer, but I do find that I need just a smidgen of downtime, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Um, yeah. Because he, maybe maybe when my daughters are out of high school and I'm not driving everywhere to take my daughter to hockey, it, that that might change, might be able. But I also find parents are just busy. You know, I I'm busy because I have a high schooler, two high schoolers. Um, other parents are busy too, and so when you, if you overwhelm them with the commitment that it's going to take, then I feel like they don't do it. But they usually can commit to four rehearsals. Yeah. I I can four nights that's the way the four state wins works um you know we're uh he'll uh craig will reach out to us and say uh here's the literature here's the rehearsal dates here's the concert date here's the locations you know let me know if you can commit to these dates and then if you commit to the dates the expectation is you're there or if you're gonna have to miss a date that that's communicated before then and even though it's a volunteer ensemble, I mean, the expectation is if you said you're going to be there, you're going to be there. Now, I mean, if something truly urgent comes up, like, I mean, he gets it, like, you know, we're all adults here and stuff. But I know I, for myself, like, I definitely feel committed. And there's times where there's things that come up in the business of like, oh, shoot, like, I should do that. I'm like, no, I've got four state wins. Like, someone else needs to handle this. They can handle this because I've got a commitment to the ensemble to be there. Yeah, I love doing that. So, I, yeah, you probably could. And I think in some areas you know it wouldn't have to be the same director you could say like hey I'm, i'll do the spring one and then this director at this other district or at this other building uh she'll do the summer one and then we'll do a fall one and the high school guy will do that or whatever and that way you're right it would it would allow you to because you do <laughs> directors don't have enough downtime for sure so you need it when you can get it i love that idea that's so good for listening to the Mo Better Bands podcast. If you have something to share, click the links in the show notes of your podcast app and leave us a message. Or email me directly at donovan at springfieldmusic.com. That's D-O-N-O-V-A-N at springfieldmusic.com. If you'd like to be a guest, would like to recommend a guest or a topic, shoot me a line. Thanks again for listening.